Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Hello, my name is Rachel Turner, and uh, I am so excited to get to be here with you today and and share a bit. Um, Today we're going to, well, today we're talking about Jesus. Surprise! And... uh, I wanted to start off uh, with a story. This is not a funny story. Well, I don't think it's a funny story. Uh, I, this is just a regular like life story. But um, a, a, long, a long, long time ago when I was in university, I made some bad choices. Anyone else make some bad choices in your early... Tr- yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Just sort of... And so uh, I, was, uh, I was doing great and then hit a year where I call it my year of disobedience. You know, it's sort of like that was my year of disobedience. And in my year of disobedience, I chose to not go to class, not quite turn in everything, kind of space out of university to the point where they said, you are not welcome back. And yeah. Uh, So then I had a year of being like, fine, fine, I'm fine with it. And then God sort of leading me on a journey to repentance and realizing that... I made some bad choices, and I wanted to get back into university, get my life back on track. And uh, so I went to the university and applied, and they're like, yeah, in order to get back in, you're going to have to get a sponsor from one of the faculty that you worked with who want to stand up for you and say, yes, I think she should be allowed back in. And there came a fear upon me of that conversation of I have, I have walked in sin and now I need to go face an authority to face the consequences of my actions relationally. And I was in sheer fear of that conversation. I think many of us will have done that journey, Um, not whether it's from, not necessarily my journey, but when we mess up, there can be a fear of reconciliation, a fear of going to the person that you wronged and admitting it, a fear of facing it, and I think that extends very much to God. For many of us, we can have that thing that when we sin, when we do something wrong, there is a hesitance to face the God of the universe about what's been going on with us. And that is not the design of God. But just because we know it's not the design of God doesn't mean that that helps sometimes. So uh, what I wanted to talk about is do a little biblical history. Oh, yes, everybody. I know. You were like, oh, I wish we'd do some biblical history. So what I wanted to talk about a little bit was the whole idea of this sin thing and why we are not called to walk in fear when we're dealing with all the stuff of our choices that come upon us, that there is something. So... I realize that sometimes we assume that we've covered stuff that we might not have. So we're going to go back to basics. So at the beginning, uh, not every concept historically, sin was a new idea at some point. And, um, And when God called the Israelites and said, look, you and I are going to have a relationship, he was like, I need to teach you how life actually works. And so he created this idea of these are all the things 
that are right and wrong so that people knew what right and wrong was because for that it was just sort of I don't know what I thought was good and God came along and was like that's not how life works there is right and wrong and so he brought in these laws to say this is how to live right and that means you're going to be really aware of when you do stuff wrong that's called sin and so he brought in this thing but he said, not just that you live that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you walk this out. I'm going to help you understand this. So he created this system, and it was the temple system or the tabernacle system. And so eventually there was a tabernacle, and eventually they turned it into a temple so that they could go on this journey of how to process this idea of I do things wrong and it separates me from God, and now I'm just stuck in all of my bad choices. And so this is what they did. So eventually... There were lots of different temples, and eventually, right around Jesus' time, this is what Herod's temple looked like. Um, it was pretty. It was very big. Herod expanded it and made this whole extra thing that you could hang out in. And, uh, and this was where you came to process all of those feelings and emotions so that you did things that were wrong, sometimes on purpose, and the Bible is really clear that sometimes you decide to kill someone. <laughs> that was a choice that you made, bad choice. Uh, sometimes you sin unintentionally. Sometimes there are things that you have been doing that you think are fine, and then at some point you go, oh, nope. Maybe that wasn't so right. Have you ever done that? Like thinking that I'm just sharing information about a friend and then you turn out later, you're like, no, that was 100% gossip. Nope, that was just gossip. Or things that you have thought that you're doing with good intentions and then you think, nope, that was coming out of my desire to be more important than you. That sort of sense of you're walking not out of malicious choice, but you have unintentionally walked in something that was not holy, and now you realize that. And so God had a whole system for the stuff that you do that you know is wrong. There's a way of coming and bringing sacrifices to say, I have sinned. I want this sin off of me, God. And so I am going to sacrifice. Sometimes it was wine. Sometimes it was um, animals. Sometimes it was birds, depending on what it was. And it was sort of like a big menu of things. If you do this, that costs you two birds and a ram. And you sort of had to then be very aware of your sin and say, right, I want to be clean. So these are all the things I did. This is the cost financially and, and stuff for me. And then I need to bring that to the temple and I need to bring that to God so that I could be clean. And there was a very clear awareness of what would happen. So you'd come to this place and that first, I like the little door at the front, the little boop, come on in. And that first little place was, uh, it's called the court of women. Women were allowed in there. And uh, there's where you could purchase things and you could get things checked and all sorts of stuff. And that was your sort of hangout space. And then through the little middle gate doors, uh, that's where the sacrifices and stuff happened. And so you could hand your stuff to uh, people to do it for you, or you could go in and do it yourself. And that's where all the sacrifices happened. And you lived in this awareness of my sin and getting it sorted. And out of all of this, there was a guy called well, so there's the sacrifices in there. The next stage, just so you can see what happens. Could I see the next one? That's inside that middle building. Can you go back for a second? Susie, there we go. That, that big tall building with the little crown on it, uh, that's the place where God's presence was. And so um, that's the place that only special people could go in. Only Levites could go in it 
on their rota. They were all assigned a rota, and uh, sometimes you got to go in there. And that was where you sort of ministered in that space. And behind that curtain, behind that curtain was where the presence of the living God was. And and back there, because God's holiness was so powerful, and you couldn't guarantee that everyone had done everything right, and if God's presence exists in the space of those that are un, that are unholy, just it was not going to work. So God was existing; His very presence rested in that space behind the curtains. And what everybody needed was someone to bring them to God Himself. And so everyone was doing all these sacrifices and doing all these things, and one person, one guy was the high priest. And his job was to go behind that curtain once a year and make sacrifices in the presence of the living God for all the people. His job was to bring the people to God and say, God, these are the people, accept the sacrifices of your people. This was it. And it was such a dangerous thing to do because he had to make sure, he was a sinful person like anybody else. So he had to do all the sacrifices to make sure he was clean. And what they used to do is tie a rope around his ankle because if he went into the presence of the living God and had not been completely clean, they assumed that God would strike him dead. And therefore, what are you going to do with the dead body in there? Because you can't go in. So they put a rope around it so they can like sort of drag him out just in case. Um, so this is like God is a holy, holy, holy God. And the high priest was to go in front of us and intercede for us and to, to bring us to God. That was the whole purpose of this. It was highly complicated. You had to be aware of your sin. You had to do the sacrifices. You had to have a priest who could go to God for you. You were separated from God from so far away from all of this stuff. And yet, it says in Scripture that Jesus came to fulfill that whole process. So we don't have to do that whole process. Jesus came to be the sacrifice once and for all so we don't have to keep calculating what we did today and then figuring out how much it's going to cost us in birds and then having to come and do that. He said, I am the once and for all sacrifice that will cover all things. But he also said, I'm your high priest. I'm the one who can bring you into the presence of God and intercede for you and stand before God and say, understand them and love them. He's the one who, who comes into that space and says, I am, I am the one who gives you access to God. And because he's Jesus, he also is God that says, yeah, come, come, come. He fulfilled the whole thing. But that's not the whole point of my talk. The talk is this. Can I have the verse up in Hebrews? In Hebrews, the author, we don't know exactly who the author is, um, but the author was talking about this um, idea of the high priest. And there's a line in here that I find really powerful so um, the author is talking and says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to, into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, just in case you're unsure, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what the author is saying there is, is we have a high priest now. We have Jesus. And Jesus didn't have to do the, oh, am I sinful, clear in it. He's, he's a sinless high priest who knows exactly what our lives are like because Jesus came to live on earth. And it says he was tempted in every way. 
which means that when I want to say something that I know will just crush somebody's heart and that will make me feel great, that was a temptation that Jesus understands. When we are so sad that we want to exist in self-pity and to, to, to just curl in a ball of victimhood. He understands that because he was tempted in all things. We have someone who understands what it's like to live complex, difficult lives in grief and worry and fear. We know that Jesus lost his earthly dad at some point in his childhood or early teenagerhood. He knows what it's like to walk grief. He knows what it's like to have someone spit in your face. He knows what it's like to be accused of something that you didn't do. He knows what it's like to have your reputation tarnished and never get cleared from it. He has been tempted in all things. And he's the one who brings us to God. He understands. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest was selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Now, this is talking about how that's the job of a high priest is to deal gently with people, to deal gently with that, because you are very aware of, of my experience of that. And this line also is saying that Jesus himself is called to be the ultimate high priest who deals gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, the intentional and unintentional sins. Jesus fulfilled the whole thing. Thank you. We can take that down. He fulfilled the whole thing. But we still get stuck. We're like, great. Jesus has done it all. Mm, I don't know if I want to talk to him about it. We get stuck. And I love this idea of him dealing gently because that is not my assumption of God most time. In, in most of my growing up, I assumed God would respond the way many people in my life respond to my mess-ups, with anger, with annoyance, with losing their patience, with the fact that I've done it five times. There is a, a, an easy way to paint God with this assumption that I've already sinned four times in this way. He's done. He's done. And we can picture God sort of us going, God, I'm so sorry. that I just hate that I keep choosing this. I am stuck in the sin. And, and God is going, why are you doing this? Fine. I'll deal gently, gently, gently. And that God is, is holding himself back from sheer anger just to like tiptoe around you because he said he would deal gently with you. We assume... Uh, uh, we assume a judgment and displeasingness from God, which separates us. But that is in no way the reality of who he is. Because this isn't just Jesus dealing gently with us because he's like, they're fragile, they're going to break. It is impossible for him to deal any other way because it's the nature of God to be gentle. When we talk about all the different things that God is, we're often like powerful, amazing, creative. We have all these big things. My favorite one is gentle. Have you ever come to someone with something and they have responded gently? It is the most disarming, powerful thing to come in pain and be dealt with gently. And that is the nature of God. If we look back 
all through scripture. I have all these moments that it describes God as gentle, and I think we just pass over it. When Elijah was uh, having a bad day, he had a bad day, he wanted to die, he ran off into the, the wilderness, and he got sad, and God sent angels to give him food and a nap repeatedly, like multiple times. And then after he had like gotten a lot of food and a nap, God said, okay, let's talk now that you're rested and no longer hangry. And they went to have a chat and he went and God, and there was a great wind and there was an earthquake and there was a fire. There was all this stuff and God wasn't in any of those. And then God came to Elijah so that they could have a talk about the... That was the most elegant thing I've ever done in my life. That was amazing! Thanks. Thank you. That was right. It was, it was part of the dramatic. And thunder. Thank you. And uh, thank you. And, uh, and then what, what, is, what is the thing? So where was God? God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He's somewhere in First Kings, and I don't know if I still have my thing. Yes. Um, he came in the fire in the earthquake, and after the fire, how did he come? In a gentle whisper. After all of that, after he is suicidal and done, God comes to him in a gentle whisper. In a, a bit more forward in Psalm, uh, we hear about uh, a guy who's a warrior and he's talking about God and he's saying, You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. This is David. I think I'm on check to make sure it's David. I don't want to lie to you. It's very important. Otherwise, I have, yes, of David. So David, guy, David and Goliath guy, he's talking and he says, he trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Bit of a flex. You give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. And then this final like, he's like, yeah, yeah, God, God. And then his final big punch is this. Your gentleness makes me great. I love that. I feel so much more empowered after I encounter God's gentleness than I do when my arms feel good. Your gentleness makes me great. And Isaiah, he talks about God like this. Well, God talks, yeah, he talks about God like this. He says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And the ones who have young mean that they have recently given birth and they're tired and need help. And he gently leads them. Matthew, there, Jesus talks about himself in a lot of analogies, but there's very few times that Jesus actually describes himself. He's often like, I am the light of the world, you know, an analogy. But when Jesus is like, let me describe me to you. And he says this, I am gentle and lowly. Gentle, gentle, gentle. That is the heart of who he is. That is the heart of what we can expect. And when we look at Hebrews, our job is that we can... Can we have the verse back up, Susie? Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. If you are confident, 100% confident that you are going to be met with welcome gentleness every time you sinned, would you even hesitate to talk to him about it? Would you hesitate to sort yourself out? Would you hesitate to say, right, these are all the desires in my heart, and I'm pretty sure they're not right. There is something when you are confident, 
confident in the gentleness of God, you will talk to him about all sorts of embarrassing, halfway thought through stuff that we wouldn't if we think, I'm trying to avoid his anger. And he's trying to say over and over again, he sent Jesus to demonstrate, I can deal with you gently. That is my heart for you is that you come to me when you're feeling, when you're worried, when you're making choices, that you run to me. That is my, that is my joy, I think, in my life because I am a sinner. I am a sinner. Um, a lot. I am a, I am a very imperfect human being. And there is something when we get this that means I joyfully run to my father with my sin and say, what is up with me? This is my often common conversation, mostly in the toilet, because that's like when I like, and then you go and you're like, what is going on? It's the only place that people won't bother me. And I'll go and I'm like, I don't know what is going on with me, God. I don't know why I'm so, I keep choosing this. I don't know what's going on with me. And he's like, let's figure it out. What are you afraid of? What are you believing that's wrong? And he gently deals with me to clean, not only clean me of sin, but help me walk further in holiness. He gently deals. Our fear of God's wrath and judgment separates us from the only place we can actually find healing. He gently deals. And stuff you know and stuff you don't know. And there are so many times that I've been happily going on with my life, and I'll feel a little nudge that's like, hey, you know this thing that you've been choosing? Have you thought about it much? And he gently convicts me, too. So many times I'm not just like, oh, no, I'm going to die. I think, oh, man. God's like, it's okay. I get it. I know it. I understand it. Let's talk about it. He gently, gently deals. When I... When I came back and had to have a Vince Gill, I love him very much, Dr. Vince Gill, and um, I knew that I had hurt him in my choices, um, and he, he had invested so much in me, and I, I was super in it, and then I left, and when I had to ask him to sponsor me, and I was so afraid, this was 25 years ago or something crazy, and um, I still can't talk about it very well, because when you are expecting judgment, and you were met with gentleness and grace. And you're on the same team. And you are together finding a way forward. And I 100% believe that I am who I am today because of I met with gentleness by Vince. And he walked me through what was going on in my head and t- taught me humility. He met me with gentleness. He didn't just say, don't worry about it. He's like, let's talk about it. What was going on with you? And he, he walked with me in gentleness through it. Jesus just didn't, doesn't go, ah, sin doesn't matter. He says, sin matters. It hurts you. It hurts your relationships. Let me walk with you in gentleness. Let me remove it from you in gentleness. If one human man giving me gentleness can change my life, what does walking with the God of gentleness do in our everyday he deals with us in gentleness. And so don't hide from him. Don't hang on to your sin. Don't be annoyed that he deals with more gentleness than you think you deserve. I've known people who will take God's gentleness and punish themselves because they're like, you're too gentle. <laughs> Sometimes we assume that God will treat us with the same harshness we treat ourselves with. And it is not true. He is a God of gentleness and love. 
who says, come to me in your brokenness and come to me when you're struggling and come to me with your half thoughts and thing that you want off your heart and I will walk with you and deal with you in gentleness because I am your high priest who has died for your sins and has given you full access to the God who loves you. And so let's pray. God, I thank you that you designed that the only response to our own sin is to run into the arms of the one who loves us. God, I pray right now that you would pop up in our minds anything that we believe about you that stands between you and us, any wrong belief of how you will deal with us, of our expectations of who you are, of our image and our minds of how you will respond. I'm just going to be quiet for a sec because I feel like some of us have an image of God that we need to allow him to wipe away. God, I thank you that you showed us our sin, that we may live in freedom. I thank you that you provided a pathway that we may be free from all the choices that sit on our hearts and, and, and distort who we are and ruin our relationships and our choices, that you want us to live in the freedom of your love and peace and grace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I thank you that you have done all the work that all we need to do is come to you. I pray that you would make us confident, confident that we may run to you and be greeted with the most beautiful gentleness that is possible, a divine gentleness, a gentleness out of the understanding of what life is like, that you have, Jesus, walked every temptation, that you understand and out of that depth of understanding and grace, you love and welcome and forgive and walk with us in gentleness because of who you are. Make us bold to run to you in our sin. And so I think maybe in the worship, if there's any sin that you feel like is sitting on you, any choices that you have made that you're like, I have not yet talked to him about this, you might just want to do it then. It's okay to not sing and to sit there and to just use this space to chat with God about it. But this isn't something that has to happen here. This can happen in showers and bathrooms and in hallways and in walks to work and in grocery shopping because he can deal gently with us wherever we are and however we are. So let's, let's worship together. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would convict us of things that we have been long hidden from you. I pray that you would poke at the places that we've been clenching with our fists to not want to talk to you. I pray that you would deal gently with us, that you may step by step open up long dry places and conversations hidden, that we may confidently have nothing between us and you. Thank you for your love and your gentleness.